The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, you're in for another Dr. Carol rant. <laughs> or maybe I won't get too... too uh, Enraged. I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I take that back, because I'm going to be talking today about sex in the news, not um, not in a in a titillating or flirtatious kind of way, but the two top news stories of the day are Penn State, which has to do with sexual abuse or pedophilia, and uh, Herman Cain, which has to do with sexual harassment. I don't know why people can't keep their hands off of each other. <laughs> well, that's kind of a rhetorical. I mean, we can't because Freud discovered over a hundred years ago that sex and aggression are the two uh, inborn um, influences uh, that we that we come into this world with. Um, and what normally happens, of course, is that um, the sexual impulses, sexual drive, um, is as people grow up, as children grow up, you, you know, become, go from being babies with these inborn drives to becoming adults, they are supposed to connect um, their sexual drive with love objects, accurate or appropriate love objects, not... Um, not thing, not pornography or not um, pornographic relationships, I guess I should say. Um, and similarly, with the violence um, in the inborn drive to, towards aggression, that is supposed to develop as the little baby matures into an adult um, into competitiveness, into a healthy ambition and competitiveness, and not actual violence as involved in crimes. And the problem is that when children um, are raised in households where um, there aren't appropriate boundaries and there aren't uh, loving parents who provide a lot of attention and nurturance to the children, these inborn drives get twisted and um, don't develop in a healthy manner and um, then we have the kinds of stories that I was just mentioning that are in the top of the news today. Um, we, we can talk about Penn State first. Um, doesn't really matter. But the latest, as, as everyone um, by now knows, um, 
there is this scandal that has recently erupted at Penn, Penn State in their athletic department um, that started when, well, it's a little, you know, there are a lot of vague um, and shadowy kinds of pieces of information in regard to this story. We think we know a lot, but so much is actually hidden. And I read the grand jury's report, which I, well, I recommend to anyone who has a very tough stomach because um, there are very detailed descriptions of what happened with each of these victims who have come forward in terms of what sexual activities um, Jerry Sandusky perpetrated on them, coerced them into, manipulated them into, used his power to, um, to get them uh, cornered into, and so on. But, you know, when, when my first impression when I read that, besides literally feeling sick to my stomach about these poor children, was um, to really be become aware of how he, Sandusky himself must have been the victim of child sexual abuse by his father, by a coach, by some man in his life when he was young, because a lot of the things that he did seem like they were copied um, but from something that had been done to him. I mean, some of the details just seemed... Um, didn't seem random or didn't seem just what any pedophile would do. It, it, there seemed to be some kinds of specific behaviors that he seemed to be acting out, uh, reenacting from his own childhood, from his own having been sexually molested. So not that that excuses him by any means, um, but it just gives further insight into the situation. And... Um, so I was starting to say there are a lot of shadowy pieces of information because, I mean, it isn't even clear how long the grand jury was, um, was investigating this, how many grand juries there were. Some, some say that there might have been a second, that we might be seeing now the second grand jury. Um, what's really the most clouded is um, what exactly each person along the line said to the next person, each person who um, observed what was going on, um, what they actually said, how much detail they actually said to the next person up the chain who they told. Now, this um, whole chain started, or at least as far as we know, that's to say that, uh, you know, <laughs> looking at the, at the situations connected to uh, Penn State and connected to Second Mile, the charity that um, Jerry Sandusky started, which really seemed he started that in 1977, and it really seems to be, as is often the case with pedophiles who have the wherewithal to do this, they well they get involved in one way or another. Maybe they don't have the wherewithal to start a whole foundation, but they become connected to places and situations where they are going to find victims. So Jerry Sandusky um, founded a charity in a foundation in, in 1977 called Second Mile that was supposed to help needy children, um, less fortunate children, children who were very much impressed with uh, his connection to sports at Penn State. And um, 
you know, now that people are looking at looking back at all of this, it seems as though he may well have started this charity in the first place to provide a feeding ground for his pedophile tendencies. Um, because, because in essence, all these people, all these kids um, who came from broken homes or poor homes, homes where they didn't get a lot of attention, were going to be the most starved for um, the attention of a man like Jerry Sandusky. So, um, in any case, so so we look back and, and we think that you know, talking about the victims. I mean, the victims re- related to Penn State um, seem to start with this incident in the shower, where um, an assistant coach. Um, well, at that time, he was a grad student. Um, of, uh, I believe, named McQuarrie. He um, was in the locker room at Penn State, and he witnessed Sandusky um, sodomizing a boy in the shower. Now, there are even questions um, as to what Sand- uh, McQuarrie is even now, who's on administrative leave, by the way, paid leave. Um, supposedly, at least originally, it was supposed to be to some degree for his own safety because everyone he he was, was receiving death threats um because because of the university firing Paterno who an 84-year-old man who was a beloved coach uh success with honor was the was the creed was you know what he um the slogan for what he wanted the athletic program at Penn State to be like um, and now at 84 years old, it's really very sad that um, he has been fired. I mean, granted, we don't know exactly what he knew yet, but if, but if he didn't do more than just report it up the chain of, of command, of course, people are asking, even though legally that was technically uh, all he was required to do, but certainly morally um, he should have done more, as should everyone have done more all along the line in this chain. So ever, there's all there's fallout <laughs> uh, all the way up the line. People being fired, people under investigation, and so on. People being questioned for uh, having committed perjury because some of the um, uh, people in authority at Penn State who testified before the grand jury it, when they were doing this investigation. Um, are now potentially being um, going to be charged with perjury because of what they told the grand jury that seems to be um, inconsistent with these other stories that are coming out. But in any case, other than uh, victims who have yet to come forward or who we have yet to know about, because apparently more and more, as I knew this would happen, more and more people, more and more kids, well, people who as kids were molested by Sandusky, they are coming out of the woodwork because they're becoming emboldened by the fact that other people, um, other boys who were molested are now coming out of the woodwork, um, being older, and um, and not being humiliated or shamed. I mean, that's the main problem for boys um, admitting to or be- making public the fact that they were sexually abused, it's much harder for boys to come forward with that than girls. It's hard enough for little girls, but it's much harder for boys because there's more of a stigma, more of a of feeling ashamed, more of being afraid that people will call them gay, all of that. 
um, and and just the humiliation makes them makes them keep quiet a lot more. You know, that's a lot worse than it is for girls. Of course, girls are afraid of that as well. You know, and if, uh, they're afraid also about what will happen to the to the molester, especially if it's their father or their stepfather. Um, so, in any case, now the question is, you know, people are questioning why didn't McQuarrie um, do something? You know, he said that he left the locker room immediately to call his father, who then told him to tell Paterno, which he did. But um, but then now he's being put under the microscope more and being asked more about why he didn't stop the rape such as by physically confronting Sandusky and rescuing the boy, or at least running out and immediately calling the police himself. I mean, yes, technically, employment-wise, you aren't necessarily obligated um, to do more than tell the person above you who is supposed to, you know, once it gets high enough, supposed to call the police. But morally, I mean, that's the whole, that's the crux of the matter. Yes, these people told the person above them, but... Um, was that enough? Not really, especially when this went on for so many years and people knew that um, there had been these complaints against Sandusky and still kept quiet for so many years. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's what makes this even more horrific um, than it already is. And so now, now McQuarrie is trying to say that, oh, um, he didn't just turn and run. I made sure it stopped. Um, but he doesn't explain how he did that, and um, it's really questionable now. And again, that was that was in 2002. Why why did everybody keep this so quiet for all of these years? So um, so that's the question. And now you know. And now everyone, of course, is turning the light on this. And the one positive part of it is that um, it, is, it does become a teaching moment for parents um, to use this, you know, the fact that these are, are boys who are involved in sports, it kind of makes it more, more of a macho thing, and yet they are coming forward and talking about these horrendous acts that were perpetrated on them, which should make it easier um, for other little boys to come forward a lot sooner and tell their parents, tell their teachers, um, keep telling until somebody pays attention and does something about it and actually does uh, investigate the perpetrator and believe them. So um, that's, you know, looking for some positive, positive story in this. Um, it would be that, that all parents should be taking advantage of this being all over the news to talk to their children and uh, encourage them Ask them if they knew anybody who ever, you know, was talked about being molested or if they were ever molested or what would they do if someone ever molested them or approached them in a way that made them feel uncomfortable. These are all questions that parents should be asking. And, um, and then, you know, taking this, t- taking this whole subject of sexual abuse out of the shadows and more into a place where people can get punished more quickly, which is another reason why victims don't come forward, because they're afraid that not only will they be shamed, but that nothing will happen. To, no one will believe them. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, of course, in this Penn State case with all these kids, um, you know, it does 
it does unfortunately um, bolster that idea that something could go on for this long and the children still wouldn't be protected. So I guess we should take a break here. I could go on talking about this forever, but we will continue after the break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about sex in the news, sexual abuse as at Penn State, and sexual harassment as with Herman Cain. So um, I was talking about the sexual abuse in Penn State and that tragic, tragic story. Um, you know, it's interesting, actually, there, um, there was an interview last night with Bob Costas on NBC's Rock Center, and he uh, interviewed Sandusky and asked him a lot of hard questions, and uh, which was, you know, obviously, um, that, was, that was a great interview, obviously, that, that was landed. Um, and that what was interesting, though, is um, Sandusky admitted some things, and... Um, He's trying to, he, he has an attorney, of course, and um, he is trying to, to admit to some things that apparently he doesn't think that he would be able to um, deny that, you know, that, that it's too, uh, either because the children are coming forward, I mean, that when they were, <laughs> they're not children now, but <laughs> the former victims are coming forward, 
Um, and because of the, you know, Macquarie um, certainly witnessed at least one of the acts, and there may well be people coming forward who witnessed other of the acts and so on. So he's trying to cut his losses, but his legal strategy is a bit questionable. But in any case, um, he was asked whether he was a pedophile, and he denied it. But he admitted to showering and, quote, horsing around, unquote, with boys, as well as hugging and touching them, although he claims that this touch was non-sexual. Um, now, he's, he's, this is a very dangerous game that he's playing, although he's apparently no stranger to danger, um, because there are other sex crimes under Pennsylvania law that his admissions you know, might go far in getting him convicted of. There's the felony of institutional sexual assault, which is indecent contact by a youth development mentor, and the misdemeanor of indecent assault, which is indecent contact. So, um, and then his lawyer in a different interview, an interview with CNN, he tried to make a difference between what is socially unacceptable behavior and what is illegal behavior. And he called uh, Sandusky just a, quote, big overgrown kid, unquote, and an aging, quote, jock, unquote. Well, you know, a lot of pedophiles, that's part of the problem that when um, Sandusky's lawyer was, was calling him a big overgrown kid and an aging jock, Apparently, um, the attorney doesn't know that much about pedophilia because those kinds of things um, can be uh, contributing factors to someone engaging in pedophilic acts. I mean, certainly, this whole story of, of being called a big overgrown kid brings to mind um, the Michael Jackson uh, cases of sexual abuse. Now, I know I'm going to really um, annoy... <laughs> Uh, the Michael Jackson fans listening, but um, certainly um, it is, it was, and is, and yes, it's very sad that he's dead. But um, it, it, you know, his behavior, um, which people just tried to excuse by saying that he was a big, overgrown kid, not an aging jock, but um, certainly was inappropriate at the very least. And um, so this isn't really helping, the, the attorney isn't really helping his client's uh, case. Then, um, then also the fact that Sandusky is admitting to some of these things would, would make it less difficult for a jury to believe that he went just a little further than that. And yes, there was, uh, the touch was sexual, not non- non-sexual. Um, and then, of course, Joe Paterno He's been saying we were all fooled, which doesn't quite make a lot of sense. I mean, again, it kind of depends on what Mike McQuarrie said to Joe Paterno as far as how, how much he described exactly what happened. It seems more likely than not that he described it in a way that should have given Joe Paterno a clue into what was actually happening. Um, so, you know, I think that that's going to be very difficult to try to uh, try to deny that, oh, well, I didn't know that it was, you know, that he had actually been raping the child. I thought that it just made McQuarrie feel uncomfortable, you know, which is what's been some of the things that were be, have been said. Um, it, I do, it is, kind of, it's a very thorny problem, this whole issue of Paterno being fired. 
Um, and of course the riots, and you can kind of understand. I mean, this, he was a he was an icon of the school. He was loved by the school. He's 84 years old. He's like a grandpa to the school. It's so sad that at the end of his career that this should rear its ugly head. Although, if you know, if in fact, as seems likely, he did know about these things, um, yes, he shouldn't have kept it hidden for all of these years. But um, but on the other hand, you know, the attorney for the victims um, has said that it's been unfortunate that the university fired Paterno because, because well, the reaction that the students have had and, and that a lot of people have had, the negative reaction to firing Paterno, has made it more difficult for some of the victims to come forward or to be willing to testify. I mean, after all, McQueary has gotten death threats. So what are these, what are these victims going to think is going to happen to them if they come forward? Because they're going to be seen as, as, um, being the cause, even though they're the victims, of Paterno being fired. So it does make it a lot more complicated and, and, um, people just really, you know, <laughs> People just have to be a lot more careful and really can't turn a blind eye to all of this because um, because the longer that a child is being sexually abused, the more psychological scarring it leaves on them. I mean, as a you know that that one of my hats um, that I wear a lot is as a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness. And um, I've been involved in lots of cases of child sexual abuse, um, including the, the um, cases against the priest, the priest sexual abuse. And I have sat in my office and had grown men sit there and cry, sob. Even, you know, they're, they're in their 30s uh, um, now, for example. And um, they were molested when they were 7 and 8, for example. And um, when they talk about it, which is hard enough for them to do, to actually come forward and talk about it, admit it to themselves as well as to other people, even if they're going to have a case where they could potentially win money for it, it still is just so incredibly painful. And these grown men sit there and sob about things that happened years and years ago, 30 years ago, um, in many cases. And I always wish when, when the, these kinds of things happen, when someone is sobbing in my office or has gotten involved in drug abuse or alcohol abuse or all these kinds of self-destructive habits to try to, to try to escape the memories of being sexually molested, um, I just always wish that there was a camera in my office that could, that could take, that could show people, show the world just the, the pain that this leaves on a child. So many adults just do this to, to, for their own sexual gratification, their own power gra- needs gratification, you know, feeling that they're overpowering a child, as well as the sexual gratification, and they just do it on impulse um, and, and um, don't care, don't know, don't care about what the, the effects are on the ch- children for years and for the rest of their lives. And um, so that is what causes it to be incredibly tragic, and that's why what I wish, you know, I, I know it's somewhat um, naive to think, well, if sexual, if pedophiles saw this, they wouldn't do it, because obviously the reasons why people become pedophiles are deeply ingrained, and as I was saying earlier, often because they've been sexually abused themselves, 
Um, not that all people who have been sexually abused go on to, to become pedophiles, but, um, but it's certainly, it's certainly, they certainly come from a very horrific background themselves. And with Sandusky, it wasn't just impulsive. He's been doing this for so many years and so many children. It was a very psychopathic um, pattern of behavior. All right, we do need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I've been calling today's show Sex in the News, Sex Abuse and Sexual Harassment, but I think I'm going to call it Twisted Sex in the News, (laughs) because sex in the news can be a fun thing. (laughs) We all love to peek into celebrities' bedrooms, for example, but... um, Maybe, maybe that's twisted, but, uh, but this is really twisted. We're talking today about, I've uh, been talking about the Penn State case of sexual abuse, countless victims, more coming forward. I applaud the people coming forward. That is so important, not only for them, it's a way to heal. Um, I have treated so many victims of, of sexual abuse, and that is the only way to heal is to, is to come forward first to yourself, acknowledging it, and then to the public. Um, you know, if the public may be just your mother or your father or a teacher or a lawyer or the courts or whatever it is, but, you know, not hiding in shame. And so I really uh, would encourage anyone who is listening to this who may be a victim of Sandusky or may be a victim in general, not just Sandusky, I was talking about how parents should use this as a teaching moment. I will use this as a teaching moment to tell anyone out there 
regardless of how old you are, um, if you have ever been molested, please uh, get into therapy, first of all, and then, um, and then you and your therapist can try to figure out what to do next. But certainly anyone who is or knows someone who may have been, uh, well, may have been in the Second Mile Club or may have been, um, you know, connected to Penn State around that time, um, please encourage these victims to come forward because the more victims that come forward and the more corroborating evidence there is, the more chance there is of getting justice. So let's go to another twisted sex in the news piece. <laughs> and that's um, Herman Cain. And, um, boy, Herman Cain did himself in. Um, I mean, aside from, I'll talk about the, the, you know, allegations of sexual abuse against him. Obviously, most of you know there have been allegations <laughs> against the uh, Republican, one of the Republican candidates for president. Uh, Herman Cain, and um, it has somewhat snowballed with more people coming forward. Um, but the reason why he 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 made this so much worse than it had to be. I mean, of course, no one no one running for president wants women coming forward alleging sexual harassment. But I don't know why he didn't have any advisors telling him how to handle this. I mean, maybe they were telling him, but they obviously screwed up. Because um, if he would have, from the beginning, just admitted, uh, well, first of all, done a little research if he really didn't remember it, <laughs> um, and and found out what the truth was, and then admitted um, it, it, you know, what it was, admitted something, uh, depending upon each of the women, they each have a slightly different story, I mean, different connection to him, a different, I'm not saying they're lying, I'm saying a different account or a different... Uh, different personal story of their alleged sexual harassment. Um, but what, what happened, it, it started in October when it was reported in the news that two female employees had complained about inappropriate behavior by Kane while he was at the National Restaurant Association. This was in the 90s. And they had... Um, uh, made a complaint, you know, it's sort of, it's not clear how far, one of them apparently went to litigation of some sort, it's not clear exactly how far these these complaints went, except for the fact that they were, they did receive, these two women did um, receive financial settlements. Now, um, I was talking about being a, a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness. I have done... <laughs> So many sexual harassment cases, it's like I could do them in my sleep. And, um, and you know, the, um, a lot of times, a lot of time, and I've been on both sides. I've been on the sides of the plaintiffs, the women who are, and sometimes men, but let's just say, I'm just going to say women for now because it was women um, alleging sexual harassment against Kane, so we'll just talk about women. Um, you know, a lot of times, the sexual harassment has taken place. The women are telling the truth. But a lot of times it hasn't taken place. And I'll explain later why, you know, which women are more likely to make those allegations than others or why women would do that. Some of them actually believing that they were sexually harassed and some of them knowing all along that they're just doing it for money. But in any case, 
um, sometimes companies, employers, um, the people who are being sued for sexual harassment, sometimes they just settle the case in order to make it go away. I mean, this would be typically... Um, Oh, a company who has a lot of money and the women aren't really asking for much or they figure they can settle for not very much. Um, you know, they, they will often make a financial settlement just to make this go away because it costs a lot of money to defend these cases. You know, there's a huge amount of legal fees and expert witnesses, <laughs> which are the most important part of the case, of course. <laughs> expert witnesses like myself. Um, that's worth it. Um, but, you know, when, so when they're contemplating how much the case would cost to fight, and then they think about how much they might be able to settle it for, which sometimes is a lot less, sometimes not. Sometimes women uh, sue for millions of dollars. But, um, but anyhow, they make a decision um, about whether they're going to litigate it or not. And so the fact that these two women who, came, who um, had gotten financial settlements um, were were outed, were discovered. I mean, not their names necessarily, but their, they, it was reported that there were these two female employees. Um, that didn't necessarily implicate Cain. It didn't necessarily mean that he had sexually harassed them. I mean, it didn't look good, but it didn't mean that, that uh, because they were barred from discussing their allegations, oftentimes in, um, in a situation like this, if if a settlement is made, then the company will, um, or the person, the defendants will, um, as part of the settlement agreement, make it that the women cannot discuss the terms of the agreement, uh, the terms of their case, any more than they, I mean, usually they've blabbed it by then to their uh, co-workers and friends and family and anybody who will listen, but, um, but they, the settlement agreement makes makes it so that they can't discuss anything further, and particularly, you know, how much money they got and, and, and so on. And what came out during the case as far as, far as it has, had gone, um, you know, what information came out and so on. So that's why these two women haven't been able to come forward with more details. But the reason why um, Cain, you know, made this all worse for himself from the beginning was that he denied doing anything wrong. He said, quote, I have never sexually harassed anyone, and those accusations are totally false. Now, maybe he didn't, well, maybe he didn't harass these two women, but when that statement, I have never sexually harassed anyone, and those accusations are totally false, it reminded me, and I'm sure it reminded a lot of other people, about Clinton, Bill Clinton, saying, I have never had sex with that woman. Um, or words to that effect. <laughs> um, and, of course, then he was shown to have lied. I mean, you know, depending upon what you call sex. So... This was the same thing, and um, it went from um, bad to worse at that point because it wasn't so much at that point. It wasn't whether, you know, since people didn't know exactly what he was alleged to have done, it wasn't so much the sexual harassment part that was bad. It was that he was denying it in such strong terms that made it unbelievable. Then a third woman um, came forward and said that Cain had commented on her attractiveness and invited her up to his corporate apartment. And then, um, then 
then one of the women actually did, um, one, of the, one of the women, Karen Krasner, her, her name, Krasner, her name did come out. And um, she, so, so something was known about her. But then it turned out that she also made complaints at her next job and asked for thousands of dollars to settle. So, so you know, her, she, she was put into, um, uh, her credibility was put up into question. Um, but then, you know, th- and then the story was that, they, well, what he said was that all that was about was that um, he said that she was about his wife's height. She, he held his palm flat and um, said that she was about his wife's height and that that was the only, that was what this woman had been alleging was sexual harassment. Yes, I was wrong at the beginning. She, her name did come out. Um, so, okay, and then, of course, her lawyer is saying, no, that's ridiculous, that she wouldn't have filed a suit if it was just that he had said she was his wife's height. Okay, and then we have, of course, the most vocal of all, someone who wasn't, didn't actually file anything and therefore isn't barred um, by any confidentiality agreement to not say anything, and this is Sharon Bialik, who wound up being connected to Gloria Allred, who came forth with this... <laughs> with her press conference, um, introducing Sharon Bialik to the world. You know, it's very nice to want to um, protect women and help women stand up for their rights. But what makes this somewhat objectionable um, from my point of view is that Gloria already did the same thing in California um, with Meg Whitman. She came forth with a maid, an, a, an Hispanic maid, who um, reported on all the, who, who supposedly, who admitted that she was illegal and that Meg Whitman knew she was illegal and had, had um, you know, therefore done the wrong thing by employing her for many years in their household. And so that isn't to say that Sharon Bialik didn't have this experience, this sexual harassment with um, Kane, but I just don't like the fact that it seems like Gloria Allred comes up with these people to uh, speak out against Republican candidates when she has not made any secret of her being a Democrat and supporting the Democrat agenda and candidates and so on. So, so that part of it is troublesome. But, in fact, uh, Kane yet again denied even knowing her. He did not, I don't even know who this lady is, he said of Sharon Bialik. No, it's possible he sexually harassed so many women <laughs> that she was just a blip on his memory. But, um, but it's unlikely because apparently she happened to meet him again October 1st at a tea party event and went up to talk to him and he did say that he remembered her and there's this woman, Amy Jake- Jacobson, a Chicago radio talk show host, who, who admitted, who, who corroborated Bialik's story and said, quote, she talked to him for a few minutes, which made me kind of mad because I wanted to talk to him. And then she said that Kane was stone-faced after having been smiling at first. So, of course, one wonders, what did, you know, Sharon Bialik say? That uh, Did she tell him? She, I mean, clearly she must have reminded him um, about his inappropriate sexual advances towards her. Well, um, let's, we can take another break here, and um, we will be back with more about sexual harassment. I do want to tell you about why some women allege sexual harassment when it really didn't exist, 
or it existed in their own mind only. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about twisted sex in the news. And we were just talking about uh, Herman Cain being accused by all these women coming out of the woodwork who um, are alleging sexual harassment. And I was just talking about Sharon Bialik, and I, what was so interesting about that is that, and, and does make her seem more credible, even though apparently uh, Kane's campaign is trying to say that, uh, trying to make her seem not credible because she's had financial problems and so on. Um, but what's interesting is that her former boyfriend, her boyfriend at the time of this incident, which was supposedly which was supposed to have happened in 1997, um, her boyfriend of that time, Dr. Victor Zuckerman, uh, who's a registered Republican, so, you know, he, uh, he doesn't have an axe to grind, um, and he said, he talks about, he, he was at a press conference, and he, well, he did press interviews, and he talked about how um, he met Kane, like Kane had said he didn't remember her, didn't know her, again, totally wrecking his credibility, um, and um, and now Zuckerman, I mean, these people are so dumb. What do they think, that there aren't going to be corroborating witnesses, that they can just be so powerful, they can say whatever they want, and no one's going to question them? Um, well, apparently Kane's wife is still standing by him. So, um, But anyway, Dr. Victor Zuckerman um, said, talked about how uh, he was at, at dinners, or at least one dinner where Kane was, you know, he was there with, Sharon and and uh, Kane was there, and they were talking. And Kane even invited the two of them back to his hotel or um, some private party, and where they had a chance to talk to him at length. And uh, Kane talked about some gospel songs he was recording. I mean, he, Zuckerman knew all these details. And then when Sharon Bialik was let go, 
um, from her job, Zuckerman was the one who suggested that he go talk to, that she go talk to Kane because Kane had seemed like such a nice, caring man when they met him at the dinner. And um, so Zuckerman said, quote, when she returned from Chicago, she was upset. She said something had happened and that Mr. Kane had touched her in an inappropriate manner. And, um, and he, w- he called her when he first started hearing about these allegations of, of the other women um, of sexual harassment. He called Sharon to see if she was involved. And she said no, but she be she was infuriated about Cain making all these denials when she knew um, what he had done to her, which was that after she and he had dinner uh, separately, when she went to to when she lost her job at the National Restaurant Association, and she went to meet with him at dinner, Cain alone, um, to ask for help. <laughs> um, he after the after the dinner. Um, he, they were in the car, and he reached under her skirt and um, towards her genitals, and he pushed her head towards his crotch. And when she resisted or questioned him, he said, you want a job, right? I mean, that's sort of the definition <laughs> of sexual harassment, using your power to um, uh, over an employee. Um, your power to hire them or fire them or to, you know, give them special favors. So, okay, I promised I would say, I'd explain why some women, I mean, sexual harassment does exist. And, in fact, companies um, aren't just settling cases as readily as they did in the 90s, quite frankly. These days they are um, spending the money to, to litigate them because um, they found that a lot of times when these cases would go on and they would make settlements, it would have a contagion effect. Other workers would think, huh, if so-and-so just um, filed a lawsuit or threatened a lawsuit or whatever stage it went to, and she got money, even if they don't know how much, <laughs> they know that she's happy or they see that she bought a new car or something, then it encourages other employees to do the same thing. So companies really are fighting them more now than they used to do. But so it but it does exist. I mean, I'm not going to say that sexual harassment doesn't happen. However, um, there are women. Most of the women, in my experience, of examining countless women who allege sexual harassment, some of them were was true, but in a lot of cases, the women had been sexually abused when they were little girls by their fathers, by their stepfathers, by a neighbor, by some man, and now they're in this work situation. And consciously or unconsciously, they project these memories and these feelings of rage onto the man in power at their work um, that come from the man who, was, who overpowered them when they were little girls and molested them. And so when you scratch the surface, and I do these really intense um, psychological examinations, when you scratch the surface into their history, you find in so many cases that these women have been sexually abused. Now, could a woman have been sexually abused as a child and actually be suffering sexual harassment at work? Yes, that's possible. But in most of the cases that I have seen, um, it is 
if they've been sexually abused as a child, they are projecting this, and they haven't really been uh, sexually harassed at work. Um, the other reason why women file sexual harassment lawsuits when they haven't actually been sexually harassed is the woman scorned phenomenon. These are women who um, have had um, either flirtations going on with a man, uh, with their boss, with their supervisor, with a coworker, and um, they maybe they have a crush on him, or maybe the crush has gone further. And um, and they've even gone out with him. Maybe they've slept with him. They've had consensual relationships. I mean, it, it's the whole gamut. And sometimes it's just fantasy in their own mind that they're going to have a relationship with him. But whenever that fantasy or the real consensual sexual relationship ends, or the man doesn't leave his wife, which is very typical, um, the typical scenario, she hangs in there, and then at some point she realizes he's not going to leave his wife after all, and lo and behold, she files a sexual harassment case. So, again, it is true. There are people still <laughs> stupidly do um, commit acts of sexual harassment, but there are oftentimes um, reasons, psychological reasons, sometimes unconscious, sometimes very conscious, sometimes it's just pure. The woman knows that this she's making this up, and she just wants a payday. She just wants money. Um, and so there's that too, but most of the time it's these unconscious or reasons, you know, the, the woman scorned or the woman who was sexually abused as a child who's projecting onto this man at work that are the real reasons for why they're, they're thinking, interpreting things as sexual harassment that really aren't. Well, I hope this has been helpful. If you have been sexually harassed, um, just like the little kids who have been sexually molested, it is better to tell, um, to tell someone you trust, to tell, obviously, if it's at work, to tell your supervisor, to, tell, to put it in writing, um, to try to um, keep a diary of what the actions are and to have some kind of corroborating evidence. And I'm not suggesting that you manufacture this evidence. Um, but if it is really happening, you shouldn't live under these circumstances because that is also very psychologically detrimental, even if you're an adult, a working adult, and this is happening to you. Um, it, is still, it, it still leaves psychological scars. And obviously, if you're being sexually harassed, you also need to be in psychotherapy, just like um, the people who have been sexually molested as children. So... <laughs> This is uh, the end of my Twisted Sex in the News edition. <laughs> Let's hope there aren't any t more Twisted Sex stories in the news for a while. Uh, this is quite enough. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I hope, you've, I hope uh, that I've given you food for thought. And again, if this is something that touches you or touches someone in your life, please come forward. It, it is amazing. It is true. The truth will set you free. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 